Hello everybody, welcome back to the podcast. Today we have two amazing guests on talking about a subject that we absolutely love, the mental game of golf. We have Dr. Rick Sessinghouse and Hallam Morgan. Now, Rick is director of Flowcode Golf Academy and swing and mental coach to some of the top PGA Tour players in the world, including two-time major winner, Colin Morikawa, who, who's also been on the podcast. And Hallam is Floco Golf Academy Master Coach and Mentor and is a renowned mental skills coach specialising in the development of elite competitive athletes. I think what's important to point out is it's not the people with the best technically looking golf swings that always win. So there's way more to great golf than just technique and we can't ignore the mind if we want to be our best. And we've all experienced this state of flow whether it's on or off the golf course where things feel effortless, things are clear, things fall into place and this is where we experience this optimal performance but how do we tap into that more often well today we're going to be talking exactly that and much more from understanding your flow personality what is holding golfers back from creating more flow where should our attention be when we're over the golf ball whether swing thoughts actually work or not the importance of habits on the golf course how to experience less fear and anxiety and we'd all definitely like a little bit less of that and we could have gone on for hours on this podcast but there's so much value in here if you want to be a better golfer then you are going to really enjoy this one so please welcome to the podcast rick okay rick hallam welcome to the podcast how are you both doing great Good. thanks for having doing us great. on Good. It's, it's great to have you on. We, we had the privilege of um, being on your podcast a couple of weeks ago that we uh, went on for probably almost, it felt like 90 minutes. It was uh, the conversation just flowed in a really natural way. And it's it's something that, that myself and Pierce are, are very passionate about. And I'm excited to, to share and sort of dive into this today with you guys. Um, but let's let's start off really. We'll go to you, Rick. And just for the for the listeners to this, can you explain flow code and what it is? Sure. Um, I mean, the succinct definition is, you know, a framework of strategies and tools and techniques to take somebody from a fear state to a flow state. And uh, golfers know that uh, we have felt both on the golf course. And unfortunately, most of us, it's that fear and that anxiety and that doubt that does take over uh, our performance. Um, so with flow, I'm looking at that it's not just all mental, and we'll get into that certainly. Uh, as we all know, there's a physical component of this, and there's physical skills that and mechanical skills that need to be trained and developed. Um, we are a big believer that performance is state dependent. Mental, emotional, physical state will determine if you can even access that swing that you've been working on for so long. Or, you know, if I'm have distraction, I have doubt, I have tension that's going to affect my body in a certain way, instead of being focused, confident, calm, relaxed, those type of terms. So we do want to create frameworks. Each person is different and how they're going to get into the flow state, which is an optimal experience. Uh, it's when we play our best, we feel our best. And we now know it's, uh, it's something that has been researched. There's brainwave activities that goes with it, all kinds of cool stuff, neurochemicals. So it's an actual state that's being researched. And we look at it as reverse engineering that and everybody has their own flow code and we want to help somebody tap into that. Perfect. Uh, great explanation. I think that one of the reasons we love this as well, and I think it's so important for the listeners on this is because the, I think a, a lot of the listeners will be in a, a mode of they're on the golf course, they hit a bad shot and it's automatically goes straight back to what did I, what did I do wrong with my swing? My technique is out there. But what you're saying as well here, 
Rick, is, and maybe you can talk on this, Hallam, a little bit, is yep. that how we feel and our emotions and just just the state that we're in are just so important to potential, you know, sure. potentially bad shots and how we perform. Can you sort of talk a little bit more on that? Sure. For sure. No, so we, we talk about, and, and Rick always says this, we'll never be the, the kind of people that say results don't matter, right? We all want to hit great shots. We all want to shoot great scores. But what most people, exactly what you said, what most people do when they're not hitting the shots that they want, they go, what's wrong with my swing? And it may well be your swing, right? It could be your swing that's impacting it. But what we want people to ask themselves is what else could impact your swing? And our opinion is, as Rick mentioned, it's the state that you're in. So we have a, a model that we use called the performance loop. And the performance loop, loop explains exactly this. So you have obviously the swing and the swing is impacted by the state. So we then ask the question of, okay, we go back one step further. What would impact the state that you're in? And it's the emotions that you're feeling, right? So then we ask the question of what creates the emotions and it's the thoughts, right? It's your perception. So we then ask the question and go a further step back. What creates your thoughts? What creates your perception? And that tends to be what you're focused on. So we actually have this entire performance loop before the shot even happens. So we have what are you focused on? That will create your thoughts. Your thoughts create your emotions. Your emotions create your state. Your state creates the swing but then it doesn't stop there, right? And I know Rick can talk more about this, but of course we have a response. Well, most people don't have a response. They have a reaction to the shot, right? And that then leads to further rumination in their mind whilst they're walking in between shots and the cycle begins. Because if you're focused on what you did poorly on the last shot, on the frustration, on the anger, you've got all of these emotions, what you're gonna focus on as you step into the next shot and you experience. So that loop just continues. And that loop is always happening and it's either working for you or against you. And we have a choice. We have a decision to make. Do I want it to work for me or against me? So I think that's so powerful and, and really important for people to remember and also use as a bit of a self-diagnosis tool. If I hit a shot that I'm not, I didn't intend or I'm not too happy about, ask myself the question, was it my swing? Was it a technical error? If the answer is no, you know what? I think I, I, I made a good swing there then ask the question of, okay, was that a mental error? And if it was a mental error, what state was I in? Was I in a fear state? And then you can start to work backwards. Okay, what emotions was I feeling? What thoughts was I having? All the way back to what was I focused on? And you can start to actually determine where your mental error was made so you can make that change in the next shot. Does that make sense? Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Let me, let me jump in a little bit on that is, is when we talk about mental errors you know, after a golf shot, uh, it could be a decision error, right? I was in between two clubs and now that I've hit the shot, dang it, I should have hit the seven iron yep. instead of trying to hit that eight iron really, really hard, right? So it, it's it's not all about a complete fear state and anxiety. It's sometimes we made the wrong decision. And yep. to me, I want to create a feedback loop as quickly as possible to learn from this. Um, I, you know, when I played competitive golf back in the day, um, I, I went to a sports psychologist and Unfortunately, what I got was just forget about the bad shot or just be positive or just, and it, you know, when you've just pumped it OB into somebody's backyard and smashed their window, it's a little hard to forget about it. And I felt that that wasn't a good, um, a good way to move on. So I was a frustrated golfer and for me to hit a shot and it didn't match my intention for me used to be, ah, my swing, I got under plane again. I flipped it. I hooked it again. And that may be true. Of course, the ball does what the club face tells it to do. So we're not arguing physics, but why in that moment when I, on the range, just an hour ago, I striped 10 drives in a row with a, a two foot draw. And now it's a 80 foot 
or an 80 yard hook, there might have been a, a disconnect in that moment. And was I committed to the shot? And was I focused? Was and to me, I don't think people are asking that question. And this is not about putting a happy face, like just golly gee, that's okay. I'm supposed to move on. I don't think that I think denial is is not a good thing either. But if I have a feedback loop as quickly as possible to go, huh, I wonder why that went there. To me, at least I'm moving forward. I believe one of the most de debilitating emotions is confusion actually on the golf course. I hit a bad mm -hmm. shot. I don't know why. Uh, I'm not looking forward to that next shot. But if I can go, oh, I did make a poor decision. I wasn't committed. I was in between two. Oh, come on, Rick. Let's go through that. Or, man, I felt great on that shot. I had a clear visualization. I felt great. And the ball still went left. Ah, dang it. Yeah, I sometimes tend to tilt, get under plane and flip it. Come on, Rick, just stay level. It's not about fixing. I just want to make sure for the listeners, it's not fixing things. We're not getting over analytical. And we do post-shot routines, not on every single shot. If the shot is 30 feet from 150, we go, oh, that's fine. It's when our emotions swing and change that that's when we want to, we want to not have that affect your next shot because we know frustration will affect your ability to focus. It'll affect your ability to make good decisions. So we have to be able to learn in that moment as quickly as possible. Yeah, I love this. I love this. I think that this is a an interesting thought. I'm just 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 going to go with this a little bit. But if we think about how long we've been coaching, and how many golfers actually come to us and say, "I'd really like to work at my state when I'm hitting a golf shot," or I just want to work up, even just work at my mental game. I think that, that a lot of golfers will come and just go, "Well, I just need to work at and figure that out by myself, maybe," or not even really aware of how much effect it actually has. And I think maybe the thing that we can sometimes confused i'm very conscious of, of everybody who's listening to this podcast right now they've heard rick who used to play obviously full-time had a sports psychologist i think a lot of us as golfers that we hear that we should be oh it's the sports psychologist that that's reserved for the better players it's only the better players that need that with this information that you're talking about now that you do in flow code who is this for as golfers and and then we know what the answer is, but yeah, go on, go on, Rick, you go. Who is this for? No, I was going to say it's for every golfer. When I did my master's degree, it, the, the, my dissertation was on at what stage do you bring mental game in to golf um, level? And my argument was beginners. Okay. It's not even, even dependent on skill, is it? It really it's is not. It's, it really isn't because when think about all the beginners and intermediate golfers that we've all t uh, coached, state you know learning is state dependent also what state am i in while i'm learning well a beginner they're stressed they're they're vulnerable they, they're exposed they, they don't want to screw up in front of people good luck them listening good luck them having a smooth <laughs> swing right so we as as experienced coaches keep them focused on one thing at a time we we play, get playful with them yeah i've hit shots like that too right we we try to get them comfortable with proper communication and make them feel more uh, at ease, right? We were trying to help their state. But even if we just take it, take it outside of a golf lesson now, is we know that these skills do go hand in hand, right? We can help somebody understand, hey, when you were at your best on the golf course, what were you thinking, feeling, and doing? And they're gonna go, huh? I know how I was swinging, my ball went really, really far. I hit, uh, great. No, 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 what? Well, gosh, I was relaxed. I had this one great swing thought that uh, Andy said about in that video, and it just really stuck with me. It was simple. Um, I took a nice, smooth breath. I actually visualized the shot with so much clarity that day. I mean, see, now we can reverse engineer their state 
if they ask those better questions. Mm-hmm. But most golfers are into what's wrong. My what's wrong with my swing, Andy? What's wrong with this? What's wrong? Instead of change the question every now and then. When you were at your best, how did it feel? What were you thinking? What were you doing? And sometimes it's such simple answers <laughs> that we can start to help them. If we talk about routines and stuff like that, is like if your process goal was to be in a calm, confident state that's in your control. Okay. And then whatever happens, happens is different than, man, I got, I got to hit 15 greens in regulation and I got to, you know, I, I get it. It's going to be, uh, there's going to be a process that's always tied into an outcome, but most people don't ask the question of what's their best state. And, wh- and why is this, um, sorry. And wh- why is this, why is this neglected by so many golfers? Because they see the well, golf I- swing and like you say, why do they go in this direction? Because it makes total well, sense. And by the way, sorry, sorry, Rick, interrupting. Yeah, yeah. And when, when you talk about the be- about beginners, imagine if we could actually, people who are beginning the game, if they knew this stuff really early on and they became really good at it a lot earlier, imagine, well, we'd probably be doing less golf lessons, I suppose. <laughs> well, to a point, or those lessons would be, I think, even more refined to more yes. playing the game and stuff like that. And and, and Hallam will, will, will talk about a, a story we had. We did a golf school together where we use this tool called Focus Calm. And I'm going to have him get into that in a moment because now we can actually measure somebody's state okay. in real time, brainwave activity, so on and so forth. But but as we we backtrack back to the question is, I think we've been conditioned and I'm guilty of this as a an ex player is, is that the golf swing and now that well, I call it the Instagram age now is my golf swing has to look good. And, and it's all about the aesthetics of it. And there's nothing wrong with having a good looking swing. But I'm very much into cause and effect. Why did the ball go where it went? Well, again, people would argue, well, of course, it's the club face tells the ball. So we've been over and over and over and over again with, with all the magazines and without the golf channel. And now we've got videos from you guys. We, we, we understand there's cause and effect. Okay. But if we really ask the question, why did it change in this time? And people are not sure that's where, again, I think it opens up that mental game conversation a little bit more, but I think our industry has beaten it into us golfers that it is, it's either buy a new tailor-made uh, driver or get my, my P2 position into here, or my track man numbers needs to be here. And in of itself, that's not wrong. Okay. Those things are needed, but there is a bigger piece of these puzzles um, for, for performance. So Hallam, share, share that we did this, this awesome um, golf school up at Sleepy Hollow, and we put some average players under sure. the test. For sure. No, absolutely. And, and just to, to kind of add on to what you asked there, Piers, we, we ask a question at these, these clinics. We ask a question, is the mental game important in golf? And we say, put your hand up if, if it is. And as you can imagine, everyone's hand goes up, right? And then we ask the next question of, do you train the mental game? And it's <laughs> much less hands, if any hands whatsoever. Crickets, Rick usually taps the microphones. Does anyone hear me? I said, who trains the mental game? And we, we think that's because of a few reasons. One is because people don't necessarily know what the mental game is. Like, how do I define what the mental game is? And if, if they do know what the mental game is, they still don't know how to train the mental game. And then the final piece of it, in all honesty, is probably still some, some skepticism. And that then leads into the conversation around focus calm and why it's so powerful for us to be able to use this technology to be able to create almost like these aha moments in people's minds when they realize that, Oh, Rick and Hallam aren't just saying to do this breath work because it's a nice thing to do. And, you know, oh, we probably should do a breath work. 
but I know they're actually saying to do this breath work because it will genuinely improve my state in the moment. <clears throat> we see it change my state in any given moment. And that's what we were doing at, at these events um, more recently at, at various country clubs. We did three kind of main things. Number one is we, we put the device on people's head. And I'll just give a bit of background on what the device does. So the device basically measures your brainwave activity. The company have created an AI model of optimal brainwave activity for performance. And it gives you on their app a zero to 100% match on how closely aligned your brainwave activity is to their AI model, okay? So we put the device on people's heads. And first of all, we created a little bit of competition between one another, which was super powerful. So we have them do a full pre-shot routine and post-shot routine. And we basically hit two shots and we measure from start to finish, we measure their brainwave activity and their focus calm scores, okay? So it spits out like a, a, an overall experience point. And that's just super valuable because it gamifies the concept of the mental game. It creates a bit of competition and a bit of playfulness, which is what we were talking about earlier, that we want to bring to beginners. We want to bring to all golfers, not just beginners, right? The other element and something that we're rolling out at Flow Code is then what we call a mindset fitting. And this is honestly the, the most powerful part because similar to how there's not one perfect way to swing a golf club, I'm not a swing coach, but Rick tells me there's not one perfect way to swing a golf club. There are multiple different ways, right? We see so many iterations of it at the top level of the game. There's also not one perfect route to go from fear to flow. There are multiple different channels, multiple different techniques, multiple different exercises that you can utilize and combine to move from a state of fear to a state of flow. So this mindset fitting with the Focus Calm device is so powerful because we can take people through all the possibilities, whether it's a breath work, a visualization, an audio trigger, a deep embodiment trigger, just as some examples. And we can see for each individual, which was most effective for them, which combination, and we can try different combinations. So which one created the highest score? And then we can start to build personalized routines off the back of that information. So we're not just saying our peers do visualization. And the reason he does that is because he heard it on a podcast um, and he thinks it would be a cool thing to do. But no, actually, we're going to take peers through all the possibilities and understand peers, which combination is most effective for you in a pre-round routine, pre-shot routine, post-shot routine, in between shots. And then we do the same for Andy and figure out that actually I know Andy's more of a, a preparation guy. We learned that on our podcast. Piers likes to wing it a little bit more. So my assumption would be that you wouldn't have the same mindset fitting outcome. It would be very different and we can actually personalize that experience. But honestly, the power is just people realizing that, oh, wow, when I do X, it creates Y. It changes my state in a certain way. And that's a powerful tool to have out on the golf course. Because I think, like Rick said, a lot of people's worst emotion is confusion. Like, wow, I feel, uh oh, I feel anxious. I feel stressed. I feel, and also, I have no idea what to do about it. It's a little bit like going out onto the golf course and forgetting 10 of your clubs and then standing there going, I have no idea. I look at my golf, my golf bag and I, I'm missing half my clubs and I have no idea what I'm going to do about it. When you face a mental challenge, it's the same thing. You look at it and you go, oh, wow, I've got no mental tools to help me overcome this mental challenge. But what we want to do is fill up people's mental golf bag so they can overcome any mental challenge that they face on the golf course. Brilliant. I think just a lot of this as well, guys, when I'm listening to this, a lot of it comes to having the tools, but also creating the habits and the routines sure. in order to actually to make it automatic and be a part of somebody's um, you know, performance or, or life or whatever it is. And let's say there's a, a listener to this has got a big tournament coming up this Saturday. 
what are the what are the things leading up to that event? It might be the morning of the event or the night before. What are the what are the things or some of the uh, examples that they could do that would help them for the following day to to get away from this fear that you know it means a lot to them. They've been practicing hard. They can feel this tension building up. How can they start to move from that fear state? And what are the, some of the examples they can do pre pre round? Sure. Yeah, I would start with mindset. We talk a lot about mindset, which uh, in a loose definition here is is what's my belief system about this event that's going to come up, right? I have a tournament on Saturday. What's my belief about that? Is that something that I should be worried about or excited about? I, I could still feel nervous and be excited. And that's a, we'll call that a positive emotion right now, even though I don't like to use a lot of negative positive but it could be a, a useful emotion to be excited. Oh, this is important. Oh, I've been waiting for this. This is cool. But if that signal that I'm interpreting is nervous, anxiety, worry, don't screw up. I don't want to embarrass myself. We are down a different road. Okay. So first off is mindset. How are you perceiving the environment or in this case, an event in the future? in a neutral to empowering way. That's what we would like to do. So there's multiple things on mindset. You signed up for the tournament. Nobody forced you to play in the tournament. So take responsibility that you want to play in this. And it could be an opportunity to challenge yourself. It could be an opportunity to meet people. It could be an opportunity to put these new tools uh, into, right? So we talk about mindset so much as being a precursor for performance. That's a big, big part of it. You know, night before morning of, we certainly talk, and this is back to your own flow code and your own mindset fitting is I was a, a little bit more like Andy. I was a pr preparer and check my checklists and make sure all my clubs were cleaned. And I got all my golf balls ready and I went over my yardage book and I'm doing, you know, that helped me use some of that nervous energy in a productive way. Other people say, screw that. I'm watching my favorite Netflix comedy show because that gets my mind off it. Great. Okay. Then the morning of is an interesting one because um, I've had players. Uh, I had a player on the Corn Ferry tour a couple of years ago, and his emotional state he wanted to be in was peaceful. Now, that's not me, but that was him. And so 10 to 15 minutes of mindfulness meditation at the hotel helps set the stage for being peaceful for the rest of the day. Okay. Other players on tour, as you guys know, are a little bit more energetic. They're doing some full exercises, breaking sweat in a gym to start activating that emotion or that feeling for the day. So we have different ways of every, any kind of music you're listening to as you go. And we joke all the time, mine's guns and roses. I'm blasting that thing as I get to the, the, whether it's that's fair, that's fair all day. That's not flow. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Come on. Welcome to the jungle, baby. Um, is, that that helps me ignite energy that is going to be useful for whether it's um, a golf event or performing and, and speaking. That helps me. Other people, it's classical music. So we can use music and different triggers and visualization and how I warm up. And But I, I really want to go back to just this idea of mindset is, do you have a mental goal for that round of golf? And a tournament, again, people put in, into this importance phase. Oh, my gosh, it's so important. Good. Awesome. I want to do things that are important, right? So if we can reframe what it means, then I think we get into more of that excited flow state than into fear and anxiety. So we're big into mindset principles of, of shifting somebody's meaning that they put to something. 
And and just to just to add to that, I think a really useful thing that you can do, and it, it kind of aligns with Rick talking about mindsets, but he's talking about what kind of behaviors do you need to implement in order to achieve the goal? Because we're not saying don't set a goal, right? We're saying set a goal. We want yes. you to achieve the things that you want, but it's asking the question of what behaviors, what kind of person do I need to be in order to achieve that goal? So I think that can be a really useful task for people to understand because everyone, again, is different, right? Like we said, some people are super excited. Some people are calmer. You see that at every level of the game. You see that in life. So start to understand yourself. Ask those questions of yourself and say, what is my optimal state? Go back to the times when you played your best goal, define it, and then understand what kind of behaviors, what kind of person, what kind of identity needs to show up on that day in order to achieve the goal that I've set for myself. Because I think we think so often of, yes, of course, how many greens do I need to hit? How many fairways? How many? And I'm simplifying it. But we forget to ask the question of, how do I need to hold myself? What kind of, how do I need to walk in between shots? All those all those kinds of things, the behaviors, how do I need to bounce back from a, a, a bogey, for example? How do I need to behave on the day? And that's going to have a huge influence over how you perform and, and ultimately the outcomes that we're looking for. You mentioned you mentioned earlier some potential stories as well on and how I'm just examples of this. I think it's always important to to put con you know put some sort of put some stories out there. How can have you have you got anything where you can relate to somebody who was their golf swing was massively affected by the state and how you Rick you've Rick's got that? Rick's got about twenty years more of stories on me, so I'll, I'll let him answer this one. <laughs> yeah, thanks. <laughs> Um, I, I think it's always interesting when I do a lot of debriefing uh, with clients uh, after tournaments, right? I think that's a key part of our, our role as coaches is, is getting to the true cause and effect of what, what happened. And, and when you ask proper questions, um, we improve the self-awareness of that student. And, and it, we can look at data now, and it's awesome to have strokes gain and all this cool stuff. But I, I sometimes like to ask the kind of compare and contrast. So I get a lot of junior golfers. They play the same golf course two days in a row. Let's assume the weather was exactly the same. Okay, so we're going to take that variable out of play. Why would one round be considerably different from a score standpoint, right? Now, it could be on either end, by the way. I've had people shoot 80 and then 68 and then flip it and then 68, 80, right? It talk comfort zone and so, so on and so forth. So to give you a specific story right now is not popping in my head, but I, I have over and over again, especially junior golfers who are still learning how to compete and getting outside their comfort zones and, and how that could, could work with, or the freedom, that's a word that has been thrown around a lot is freedom. I want to go play with some freedom. And it's weird. It, it, we've all been this where I have that junior golfer who shoots 80 in the first round completely. They can't contend. They're not going to win the next tournament. And it's like, screw it. I'm just going to go hit some golf shots and make some birdies and they play with freedom. Right. And then you go, well, okay, we're going to have that freedom on the first round of the next one. Right. And they're like, yeah, but I, I don't want to mess up. And then it's like, wait a second, what happened? Well, because they have nothing to lose. Right. So that's back to mindset. So the freedom could be a state they want to be in. How do we get there? Could be about mindset and trusting our processes and those type of things. So it, it's interesting when a player comes back and they work with me for a while and they can almost say, Rick, I got tight. I got protective. I had a, a player yesterday that was one under through 15 holes and then went bogey, bogey, bogey. They are self-aware enough to go. I played protective. I steered the ball. I thought about what I don't want instead of what I want. So those are the, 
really great coaching conversations that start to develop that is beyond because I'm their swimming coach too. So I'm obviously asking under pressure, what did the ball do for this particular person? They were blocking it because they were holding the face and they were protecting and steering it. So that was what the ball did. Why? Because the state was don't screw up. So that that's kind of where I see that pattern happening a lot. Hi guys. One question we get asked all the time is how can I get coaching from yourself and Pierce? Now we do coach in person at the Grand here in San Diego, but for those who can't make it in person, we've built something that's just as good. We've created the Me and My Golf Academy. This is basically our online coaching academy where we've literally poured everything that we've learned from the best players and coaches in the world on not just about how to swing it great, but also what it takes to actually play great golf and get around the golf course in, in as least shots as possible because that's really the aim. There's over 17 specific coaching plans where we actually guide you through simple lessons that we know get results. Some of the most popular ones are total driving, break 90, ultimate irons, and complete chipping. And we really believe that these are the best online courses on the planet to help your game. Plus, we have an amazing member community over there with loads of other benefits and discounts on some amazing brands. So if you're fed up of having too many swing thoughts and you can't figure out why you're so inconsistent and seeing no improvement, then give this a go and you can see if it's for you. Our members are seeing some incredible results in as little as only one week and we'd love to see if we can help you out with the game. So if you want to find out more, click the link in the show notes or simply download the Me and My Golf app. Let's get back to the show. I think it's, I think it's, um, there's so many listeners to so we'll be able to relate that as well. It's like they're going out with the mentality of, um, a avoiding embarrassment. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to look like an idiot. I don't want to post a bad score. So let's protect it and try and steer it. And and um, we've had multiple conversations of this. And it's almost like what you, if somebody's trying to avoid something, they're actually inviting that into their game even more, aren't they? So it's like I'm trying to avoid making a bogey. Therefore, I'm actually bringing that closer to me because. I'm not really playing with that freedom. And I know all of us here and all the golfers listening to this want to play with that more freedom and be able to go, well, how do I tap into that? And I always think about what you just mentioned there, Rick, um, Rory McIlroy at Portrush. First round shoots, uh, did he shoot 80? 80, and then yeah. 80. 80, and then second round he goes and shoots like eight under. And, you know, when he had nothing to lose, he played with complete freedom and I've had rounds like that. You know, we've all had rounds like that where it's like, oh, what was I worried about? Nothing matters now. I can just play. I can play with freedom. But it's how do we tap into that? How do we tap into that feeling at the start? That's the that's the golden so, the golden question. So I think, and, and this kind of reinforces a lot about what we do at Flow Code again, is we don't just talk about flow from a performance standpoint, but we also talk about flow from a personality standpoint. And it's probably not the answer everyone's looking for because everyone wants that quick win, that short fix, that all that kind of stuff. But ultimately, the personality that we have, our baseline personality becomes super important in that kind of scenario, right? Are we able to always show up with freedom, not just on the golf course, but feel free in life, feel free in our work, feel free in every aspect of our life. And if we can start to work on building a flow personality, then when we get into these pressure situations, we're going to actually default back to a flow personality rather than a fear personality, which is what tends to happen. And that obviously, as you mentioned earlier, Andy, you, you hinted on kind of the habits, the routines, the repetition, 
that all comes from from that exactly. Um, and it's something that we talk so much about and why we're so focused at Flowcode, not on just learning the information and understanding what Flowcode is and what a pre-shot routine is, but actually how you can integrate this stuff into your daily habits and daily routines, your morning routine, your daytime routine on the golf course, your evening routine. That's so, so powerful. And that's the process of becoming a flow personality. Um, so I think that's something that, that that's so important when it comes to that. One, one thing I was thinking about yesterday um, when I was jotting down some notes for this, and I was just thinking about golf and other sports and flow and, and just my experience with flow and, and things like that. And I think golf's a really interesting one because the sheer amount of time that we have, you know, I think of it in comparison to, I, I played pickleball out here quite a lot in, in California and you don't have time to think, you know, you don't have time to think it's reactive. So you, it's very easy to get into that flow state because it's movement reactionary. Whereas golf, we have so much time where we can think and the golf ball is there. We've got these pre-shot routines and as you mentioned there, this is why it's important to have these routines that can switch us back to thinking about the right things, to tap into the focus, to, to feel in a certain way. But I was just thinking about it yesterday. I'm like, golf is such a rare sport because the vast amount of time that we have to think compared to the other sports. Exactly. And, and that's where when we look at golf as being a non-reactionary sport. And the other thing that's unique is the old adage is flow follows focus. And other sports, we are we can focus on our intention, right? And basketball, I can look at the hoop the entire time. I'm not looking at the basketball. Um, so golf, we get disconnected from our target quite easily because we, our eyes are on a ball, even though the end target is out in the distance. So we have more time on our hand and we usually are disengaged sometimes from the target itself. So it does make it very unique. Okay. And so routines become even more, more important. And that's why in our performance loop, we talk about a pre-shot routine and then a post-shot routine and a transition uh, routine and a pre-round routine, you know, because we want to use that time wisely. And yet example, like in between shot routine, which we call transition is for some people who are very talkative, they should be talking to their playing partners. Other people are quiet. Maybe they could look out in the environment. So we talk about expanded awareness, look out 180 degrees around you. You get out of your head. You look at beautiful nature. There's a different flow triggers there. So that's what I'm saying is we can embrace this time as not something as a negative. It's like, cool, I get to be out there for four and a half hours and not have to worry about blankety blank. This is a cool environment to, to be able to do that. But you're exactly right. And that's why I've always felt golf was the most challenging at times mental game because it was harder to click yourself back in with just movement. Right. I played other sports and you might get mad at yourself. I played football first. So you're playing football and you're, you're mad. I just throw an interception, but then you got to get back on the field and um, you're going to either hit somebody harder. Or you're going to run around and some of that can be dissipated. Golf. I didn't know what to do with all that stuff. Yep. <laughs> well, I think you're <laughs> yeah, except break a lot of clubs but hey <laughs> a good a good example rick is is when we talk about trouble shots versus easy shots so right. again another question we ask is how many people have, have hit an unbelievable shot from the middle of the trees and they thought there was no chance and they've hit an incredible shot and everyone's like oh yeah, yeah i remember that one specifically or a long list they can provide and then you ask them well how many of you have hit terrible shots from the middle of the fairway 100 yards out and you've chunked it in the bunker front bunker and everyone goes, oh, yeah, yeah, I can list you even more of those, basically. And we asked the question why, and there are multiple reasons, but the trouble shot, you have so many more focus triggers 
available, forced by the situation, forced by the game, basically, just put upon you, whether it's clear goals. You haven't got a choice because you've got that tiny gap in between those branches that you're aiming for. That's a very, very clear goal. You've got risk for sure, because if I just hit this a little bit too high, a little bit too low, it's staying in here, hitting the tree, probably smacking my mate in the head as well in, in the time being. So, But you've got all of these other focus triggers that come into play. Um, whereas in the middle of the fairway, I mean, you just kind of walk up and you go, easy shot, don't need a clear goal. There's no risk. I'm not concentrating. All of these other things that aren't present. So we have to be conscious about creating them. And we talk about other sports. They are kind of forced upon you. I mean, Formula One just comes to mind for an example. But some of those guys are probably experiencing the most blowout of anyone because of the, such high level of risk. They, they, they cannot be not focused because if you're not focused, chances are your life's, your life's at stake. Um, not quite the same when we're out on the golf course. So we have to be more conscious about not creating so much risk that our life's at stake, but obviously understanding how we can create similar levels of focus from, uh, from our own means, basically. One question I've got here, which will be really interesting for the viewers to sort of understand, is that we've got a pre-shot routine. You know, we, we're asking the right questions um, to get ourselves ready to play the shot, hopefully in the right state. When, we, when we're stepping into the golf ball, where should the, um, where should the focus be? Where should the awareness be when we're over the golf ball? We're ready on, to play on, the shot. On the hazard, on <laughs> 15 swing thoughts, on... <laughs> I think this is I think, I think this is so important that you know when golfers step up to the golf ball they're here what should be going on in their mind in their body like where should they be okay so I'm, I'm gonna have a cop out of an answer I'm just letting you know this right now okay so this is where even uh when I was first getting in the mental game and I was I got my doctorate in applied sports psychology and you're reading all the research articles and everything and it says every sport, um, we are going to be at our best when we are ex externally focused and narrow, right? So I am over a ball, even though I'm looking at the ball, that's really not the target, everybody. And I should not be focusing on the ball. My awareness should be focusing on a target that's 150 yards away. Now that's what all the research says. Okay. So I can just say, yes, everybody out there, no swing thoughts, no, nothing, just go out. I think that's quite challenging to coach from going from zero to 100 that quickly. Um, I tell people all the time that Colin Morikawa has won two of his events uh, with the swing thought that week. So he beat the best players in the world with the swing thought. Now, the swing thought was extremely general. Uh, one was a feel-based one. One was tempo-based. And it get, it's like a security blanket in a way that it helped his focus not get diverted to what he doesn't want. And in this case, it was a, uh, like I said, it's a security blanket. Now, did he still have a shot? Yeah. He's always asking himself, what's a good shot look like here? What's a good shot feel like here? He could see it with a shot tracer, but over the ball now, smooth. Or he won the workday, connected with his upper arm, right? So that was what he was thinking about, everybody. Um, and he won a tournament. It's when we have the multiple of the swing thoughts or it's, I need my right elbow to be at an 89 degree angle on this. That, that's when we start to get a little further away from um, being an athlete. And then, of course, we were kind of half joking is that if our attention goes to what we don't want, which could trigger an anxiety, don't go right, don't go in the bunk. Of course, that's going to create a stress response. Um, 
I, there's some, some coaches out there that say you should go blank and not have anything. I think that's a challenging thing to coach. So we can have reality all day long. I would love to swing like Rory McIlroy and have his hip speed. It ain't going to happen. So we now need to know what can we actually do in that moment that would get me closer to peak performance. So we have an external target. Awesome. We can say, what's a good shot look like here? I'm hitting three quarter, seven iron. It's going to start 15 feet left of the hole. It's going to go at the third window of this building. Boom. I get clarity when I'm over it. I may have to feel like I have a glove underneath my left arm because that helps keep my arm and my chest together. To me, I, I feel ready to go. I feel committed. Uh, other people might be tempo. So that's why I'm saying I'm copping out because everybody's going to say be external and narrow. I get that. Applying it quickly is a challenge for most golfers. I think this is the clue is going to be in the in the experiences I've had before, if in what has worked before. And again, that's the thing, isn't it? Again, it's like if you're only asking yourself, well, why didn't that work? Why didn't that work? But if you're asking yourself, well, actually, what did work when I was playing? Well, oh, I did have a swing thought. Yeah, okay. Now I can use that. So it's, love it. It's it's, it's, it's again. I think if we were to sum this up, I, if we were to finish the podcast right now, I'd say, look, everybody who's listened to this, please think about asking yourself some better questions. And I think everyone will be in a good place. Exactly. That wasn't the end, by the way. Sorry, Rick, carry on. Until <laughs> <laughs> next think, week. <laughs> I think there's some great things, though, what you mentioned there, Rick, as well, because we talk about this a lot, is that um, sometimes it's just having a thought to to remain free so that thought actually might not be doing anything for you but it's stopping other things from blocking your movement and performance and i think for the listeners to this we, we've heard it so many times a golfer will say well i just moved my thumb over to the right here and I, and this really just allowed me to play and it's like well that really probably didn't do anything but it probably stopped a lot of these other thoughts coming in because you had a, one focus one thought one feeling that actually allowed you to stay free rather than nothing which invited more thoughts, more things to stay. Yes. I think it's a real crucial part. Yeah. And so we call it distract the distractor. Um, we're already going to be distracted. You might as well distract it to something that's in your control that does. And we call them flow triggers, right? What could trigger? Now I might have a feeling, a, a deep embodiment trigger of this, or I could have um, uh, an audio trigger, trigger of one, two, three, or I can imagine I'm swinging tempo like Freddie Couples. And in that moment, I am now blocking out potentially where my attention would go. Yep. So yep. totally agree. hundred percent. No, distract, distractions are just when you're focused on something that's irrelevant in that moment. So like you said, if we can focus on something that's relevant, something that's valuable, then it makes a massive difference for sure. It's a big thing that helps us coaches as well. So like Andy says, you can, you know, let's say someone was slicing it and they weaken their right top right hand. They say, I'll weaken my top right hand and it stopped my slice. And we're going, that has nothing to do with it. In fact, you probably just made it worse. But then you have to look at it and go, hang on a bit. Don't intervene yet. Listen to what the person is saying. Okay, now let's see how, let's figure out exactly how to use it. Was it actually a distraction, which it obviously was in most instances anyway. I've purposely given somebody something to think about that probably isn't really going to help them. <laughs> it was just stopping them thinking about something else within their game for a round. Just, just no sort question. of trick, <laughs> tricking them, really. <laughs> how, many, how many golfers have you tricked on the lesson tee, Rick? <laughs> Every day. Every day. I mean, it's... Yeah, I mean, it, and it's and trick is is, is a, a too strong of a word, but yeah. as coaches, we're redirecting attention all the time, and sometimes, and you know, Hallam and I have done some events together, and and I 
honestly, I really feel when I'm coaching my best, I'm having fun as a coach. So I'm making fun of myself. I'm making fun of the, I want the environment to be fun. And in that it starts to d- detach people again from the outcome and what could happen. So if you want to call it tricking, I break state a lot sometimes in a lesson, let's say it's a one hour lesson and I see the tension, right? I'm not going to allow them to hit another ball. I may bring up a totally irrelevant topic. I may, I'm trying to break state as quickly as possible so I can then refocus them on and then get into some other triggers. So if you call that a trick, fine. I'm just looking at how can I, as a coach, I'm being aware of their, their state. And then I go, well, that's not optimal. How do I shift them? And throughout almost 30 years of coaching, what started off as really, really bad coaching has now turned into some pretty good coaching. Not because I know more about the golf swing is I know more about the person in front of me. Mm, absolutely. That's key. I always I remember think, the, think... uh, going on. There you go. You go. Oh, you go, Piers. You go. I say, I always remember that was um, Butch Harmon did a, I, I could have only, I need just turned professional. So this is before me and Andy actually would have even started working together. So it probably would have been about 2000 and Butch Harmon did an event at the Belfry. I couldn't go. I just couldn't go. We had an event on the golf club. I was gutted. And I spoke to some of the coaches and said, oh, what did you think? What do you think? And he said, oh, well, he was all right. He just told a lot of stories. Didn't really actually tell me anything that I didn't know. And I'm going, and, and I don't, and at the time I didn't understand it. Obviously, I just started, just turned professional. But I've, I've always thought on this, and I'm probably still thinking about it for the next 10 years. It's like, okay, well, one thing we can't argue with is his record. We can't argue with his record. We can't argue with what he has done with some of the best players. So again, how much of what he did was distraction and how much of what he, he obviously knows what he's looking for in a golf swing a hundred percent. But I think that this is, and I'm kind of aiming this as at us as coaches, that the coaches I spoke to were two. In fact, they came out of it going, he did not teach me anything new technically about the golf swing. And I'm going, I then I look at it now and go, well, actually, unfortunately, I don't think you were listening when it came down to that, that time that you had with Butch Harmon, you probably weren't listening and you definitely didn't ask the right questions. And I think that's, that's on us as coaches to be better at that. But it just shows you again, as I like how you said it earlier, Rick, golf swing is part of the puzzle. It is not the puzzle. We are not playing golf swing. We're playing golf. And if he was playing golf swing, then great. We can do everything that we're seeing on social media and having the pretty golf swings. But there's no... There's no wars. Who was it? Who was the guy who won? Was it Tom Pertzer who won best golf swing for in a row? Oh, yeah. Something? Back in the and, 80s, that was the yeah. one. Yeah, that was the swing, wasn't it? And then if anyone listened to this, who's Tom Pertzer? Now, they probably know who Nick Faldo was, and they probably know who Bernard Langer and Freddie Couples were, and, you know, exactly. John Daly just coming into it. They weren't winning <laughs> golf swing of the decade. <laughs> so, right. yeah. yeah, go on, Andy. Sorry, you were going to go with something. No, yeah, I'm just, I was just, um, I was just sort of thinking about like, because there's, there's one of the things with the mental game and the mind, the, the, I suppose the mental game in general really is it can be overwhelming for people. And I'm just thinking of the viewer for this who maybe is just really wants to get involved in, in the mental side of things. And they're going to hear a lot of what we're talking about. And it's like, wow, there's a lot of information there. Mm. How do I actually just start? Like, where's the starting point? What's the one thing that I can really do this week? Um, that's just going to get me on my journey to actually starting to explore this more, because as we know, it's very hard to just change everything, but what we can do, we can start with one small habit that can just get me on the journey to being slightly more aware and better mentally. I think it'd be a great thing to sort of 
finish on really? Sure. I'm going to go back to the number one skill. I'm not saying it's the most important, but it's always starts with focus. So if we, as a player who says, well, this mental game stuff, yeah, I think I need to do something about it is, and, and, and I know Andy, you, you do a lot of journaling and there's a, that's a self-awareness uh, tool to be able to understand what am I thinking? And you base questions off that. But if we can just get outside of ourselves and go to a, a, a range setting for 30 minutes at hitting balls and just start noting, even in your phone, what are some of the thoughts that are popping in my head over and over and over again? And then do those thoughts change when I go play? And I think people will be quite surprised at the amount of volume of thoughts we have for first. And, but a lot of them are repetitive. And most of them are in some form judgmental and critical. And if we can shift those into more of learning stuff and, okay, how can I do this better instead of you are horrible, Rick, that's an awful golf swing. I think the self-talk and the awareness to me would be a great starting point. Okay. Yes, we can talk pre-shower routine and this visualization. Those are fantastic. But baseline and Hallam and I talk a lot about flow personality. I mean, the thousands of thoughts that go through your mind, most of them are repeating themselves. Those become um, habit form belief systems. Now, let's start there. Let's start. What are those thoughts that are popping in and out? And then in what environments do they maybe change? So I may be great on the range and this is the easiest game in the world. And I step to the first tee and I go, oh, crap. It's like, why? It's still the same sport, isn't it? But I just want people to be more self-aware of their thought patterns. Yeah. And just to, to add to that and almost remain on the topic of self-awareness, and we mentioned this earlier, but a lot of people go back to when they're trying to make improvements, go back to when they've played poorly, and then they ask, okay, what could I have done? And that's great. What could I have done differently? I need to improve this here, improve that there. But we mentioned it earlier. Go back and ask that question. When did I last play great? And what was I thinking? What was I feeling? And what was I doing? And not just during the round of golf, but actually before the round of golf, even the day before the round of golf. What was I thinking? What was I feeling? What was I doing? How did I prepare myself? Andy, we know, obviously loves preparation. Piers, not so much. But ask yourselves those questions. And if you can do that, then I think you can start to create your own roadmap to flow. And that's exactly what we, we intend to do here. And we obviously can provide more tools and, and kind of open people's eyes to all of the tools that are available. But what we always reinforce is that everyone has played great golf in the past. Everyone has. Everyone has just that one experience, even if it's one shot, one hole. It doesn't have to be an entire round. Everyone's experienced it before. So we can all ask that question. What was I thinking? What was I feeling? What was I doing? And if we can answer those questions, we can start to recreate it. And then we at Flowcode can help introduce you to new methods that might benefit you even more and help you recreate that more consistently into a deeper level. But you definitely can understand what you've done in the past and you can repeat that in the future as well. Love it. Love those questions, think, feeling and doing and just and just noticing our human side of things. Um, I think the first time I experienced really the mental side, I knew it was important, but I didn't have a clue of what it was about until I went and like in 2006 or seven, it was. And then I came out of this sort of weeks sort of training, if you like. And I was like, wow, like I was looking at like the, the human being. And I was like, wow, I haven't even thought about that side of things and how I can control my thoughts and feelings and all this. So it's just, once you're aware of it, it's, it's just so powerful, isn't it? And if we can notice our thoughts and feelings, it's like, wow, 
that's interesting. I didn't even notice that these these feelings or thoughts were popping into my head. And as you said, Rick, these thoughts, um, we have a lot of the same thoughts every single day. And I'm so I'm sure we fall into the same patterns every time we go to the practice area, every time we step onto the first tee. And just starting to notice these things is a is a great start. And asking some great questions, Hallam, as well, is is sure. uh is a good start, uh starting point, I think. It was like being awakened. It was like we were going into. It's like a bit like your background, actually, that you've got this, this <laughs> green and black theme. It's like the Matrix. You know, we were in Neo and we've just been woken up and we were just seeing things. I mean, it was like I'm sure we were walking out, staring at people and noticing different things. And people go, oh, "What are those weirdos? Where have they been now for the last five days? What are they doing now?" <laughs> but that's the truth, right? Our once our mindset shifts, uh, you know, perception is your reality. We're just trying to shake people's perception up because their reality will now change. Um, I think we get stuck in those ruts and those habits and it's just, that's who I am. That's what I, it's like, you don't have to be that way. And, you know, you go to a golf lesson because you want to stop it slicing 50 yards. You want to make a change because there's a little pain involved. You're losing balls, but with mental game, can we look at it the same way? I am tired of being frustrated on the golf course. I am tired of being tired when I finish this round. It's like there's shifts there that we can we can make too, but it it, it does start with that awareness. And once we can shift a perspective, uh, it will change how how you look at things. Love it. Love Perfect. It. Um, right, we're going to finish off, guys, with a little bit of a quick fire. Um, we'll alternate this because we've got a few <laughs> questions. We've got five questions. Um, but there's always some good answers in this. So we'll start with you, Hallam. What's the best piece of golf advice that you've had? Ooh, best piece of golf advice. It better be from me. <laughs> it better be from Rick. <laughs> I haven't had any advice from Rick. No advice, none whatsoever. Um, no, in, in all honesty, for me, it's the um, something about the, the connection between golf and life um, and understanding that golf is the perfect metaphor for life and that, Yes, we can work on our golf swing. Yes, we can work on, and we've spoken about this today, all the elements that happen on the course. But I genuinely believe that who we are off the course will show up on the course, especially in times of, of being under pressure um, and under stress. So I think, it, it, again, and this is what excites me and, and honestly drew me to golf because obviously I don't have a huge golfing background, but I'm super excited about helping people develop in so many different ways. So the best golfing advice from my standpoint would be becoming aware of who you are off the golf course and then understanding how that impacts your performance on it. Cause we all want to play great golf, but I think looking outside the box sometimes into who we are, how we behave, how we perceive what's happening around us off the golf course can really help our performance on it too. Brilliant. Perfect. Uh, Rick, what's the worst advice you hear? Oh boy. Um, worst advice I hear. I, I, I'm just going to lump it into that. Um, we're into this age of speed training and stuff like that. And in and of itself, it's a, an important puzzle piece. Um, I I'm hearing a lot of teach as much speed now. Don't worry about where the ball goes. Don't worry about fundamentals. Do that later. I, I disagree with that. Uh, I believe you learn how to play the game and you need to have shot shape. I don't think a 12 year old, uh, and I know they're at an athletic development stage where they can learn speed. I get that, but please let's not sacrifice learning how to play the game and, um, the nuances of shots and stuff like that. So that's just a trend that I'm seeing that I, I have, a, I, I'm not a huge fan of. Perfect. Um, 
Hallam, what would you change about golf? What would I change about golf? Interesting. Um, what would I change about golf? I mean, for sure, for sure, the, the, the mental side of the game being a huge component of it. Um, I think in, in like we were discussing earlier, the first lesson that everyone has is with a golf, usually with a golf club in their hand. Um, and I would love for there to be the awareness and understanding. And it's why I'm a part of, of, of Flow Code and why we're so passionate about this mission is that how can we equip um, the swing coaches, in all honesty, because they're the ones that have the first touch point with a beginner golfer. How can we equip them with the knowledge, the resources, the tools to help every new golfer experience, understand and integrate mental game techniques into their into their overall golfing experience? Because I think golf can be one of the most playful, creative, fun, social, joyful games. But unfortunately, for most people, it's the most frustrating, uh, angry, um, all those other words, anxious game that you can play and, and it's played in such a beautiful setting that that seems in my opinion such a shame to experience that rather than the the opposite so that's probably what i would change brilliant nice. okay two more questions um rick what's the best thing about golf i like the creative side of it i played a lot of team sports before i played golf and i there's a level of control there's a level of creativity that is truly coming through me. I'm not relying on anybody else. So um, that's what I love the most about it. Okay, brilliant. And do and last question for both. Do for both. Do for both. Best, thing, best thing. Oh, the last question, say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <clears throat> we'll do for both of you then. You might, the one person gets a bit more time to think. So, Hallam, we'll start with you. What are three golf truths? What's true about mm -hmm. golf? What's true about golf? What's true about golf? Three um, golf truths. Three golf truths. I mean, the mental game is important is number one. And I'm just going to reiterate myself for sure there. Um, number two is, I think what I mentioned, I'm, I'm apologize to repeat myself, but what I mentioned earlier, that it is the perfect metaphor for life. <clears throat> Absolutely. Um, and then I would say for the final one, that golf is a game that's supposed to be played. And I think that's the final one that so many people do. It sounds so obvious, but usually the ones, the statements that are the most obvious are the ones that are also most forgotten. So we should go out there and we should play golf. We shouldn't try and force golf or we shouldn't try and swing golf. We should go out and play golf, be creative, be playful, be childlike, and just have some fun because that's ultimately why we're there. So I would say just reconnect to the, the reason why you picked up the game in the first place and, and play golf. Don't do anything else. Love it. I, I, I love I've those stolen answers. all Rick's answers. <laughs> no, yeah, no, I, I, I love them. And, and I think because we have similar philosophies, I think truths of, of golf also, when we talk about the, the life metaphor is we haven't talked as much today about resilience and anti-fragility and about uh, um, variability. And, and that's what I think I, I, there's a truth of golf is that every single day, every single round is completely different even if it's on the same golf course, the same weather, so on and so forth, the variability of us being able to adapt to every shot and everything to me is, um, is a skill. Um, and then being, you know, we, uh, I'll just speak for myself. I used to use the word resilience more now, uh, Hallam and I use the word anti-fragile is that we are going to have some bumps along the road. We're going to lip out. We're going to hit a tree. It's going to bounce back. I mean, there's things that are going to happen just like in life. And, our ability in that moment to learn from it instead of being critical is also a truth. You have that option. 
And I think because golf back to slow moving sport, we have a lot more um, responsibility, more accountability because we can choose our responses. We don't have to always have to be reactionary. So I think the truth of golf is, is the variability is always there. The uh, opportunity to always learn and get better. And, um, and I'm going to still go back to what I talked about. Creativity is like, I think we have a, um, a, a society that's a lot about it. Victimhood is that they blame things. Golf. It's you, it's you, you have to, <laughs> that's a you issue, not a victimhood issue. And I think that's, what's a, what's a great, um, learning for us is we get to create it. We also have to deal with the results. We get to keep learning. Um, so that's my truths for golf. Love it. What I love about all those answers. We could have a whole podcast on just those answers. Like, <laughs> like and there's just so much to dive into on, on all this. And, um, you know, we love it guys. And just want to say, look, awesome work that you guys are doing. And, um, you know, to, to, to be able to just spread this a little more to help more golfers tap into this and understand it a little bit more is is what we're passionate about. So thank you so much for your time today. Appreciate it. No, likewise. Appreciate it being on. Where's the best place for the guys to follow you? Where should they check out Flow Code more, guys, so we can direct them in the right area? Rick, who's going? Or are we not going to tell them? We're going to keep it it secret. Keep it down low. Uh, Hallam, you you tell them. uh, For sure. No, I mean, we we, we definitely recommend everyone go check out our website at www.flowcode.golf. Um, we didn't discuss today, but there may be people listening as well. We do also um, work in the corporate space and also the, the life coaching space. So our more generic website link is www.theflowcode.com. And that kind of explains a little bit more about all of our academies. So we definitely recommend checking that out. Um, and then also, of course, um, on Instagram, on all main social media channels, um, flowcodegolf at flowcodegolf. Definitely check us out there. But for sure, I would say, and, and feel free to, to reach out with any questions to myself, any feedback on, on the podcast or any questions that people have. Um, my email is Hallam, H-A-L-L-A-M. I wish I had a, a more simple name that I could help everyone uh, with that, but mm-hmm. Hallam at theflowcode.com. And I'll be more than happy and, and would love to hear people's feedback, questions, et cetera. Um, and if I don't know the answer, I'll definitely uh, get, Rick's, get Rick's input on any questions that come our way. Perfect. I'll put all all those uh, links down in the description anyway, so people can uh, easily access those. But thanks so much for your time again, guys. And we'll look forward to uh, doing something in the flesh in the future. Definitely. Sure. For sure. Cheers, guys. Thank you. Guys.